Welcome to Brand New Doctor with me, Rola Kerajo, doctor turned brand strategist and graphic designer for health and wellness. Each episode, I speak to inspiring doctors and dentists, successful personal brands, and industry experts, and share insights with you on everything they don't teach you in medical and dental school, on how to succeed and make a lasting impact. Your success story has already begun, but life doesn't hand out pass marks. So this is for you if you want to go beyond book smart. Let's focus on a subject you know well, but likely struggle to talk about. You. Who are you? What do you stand for? And what do you have to offer? I know, these are big questions, difficult even, but rewarding when you take the time to answer them. The answers to these questions can help you find direction and purpose in your life. They can guide the decisions you make in your career. They can even help to shape your reputation and open up a world of opportunities to you as a result. Simply put, these answers are the foundation of your personal brand. Now, if you're wondering whether this is for you, if you're working or studying in healthcare, my guest, Dr. Gillian Brooks, defines your personal brand as what people say about you when you're not in the room. Something we'd all like to have some control over. And you don't have to be an influencer or public figure either. She would tell you, if you only have a LinkedIn profile, you're already putting your personal brand out there. Gillian is an assistant professor in strategic marketing at King's Business School in King's College, London. She sometimes works with influencers, but unlike the rest of us, her interest in them is academic. She has a PhD in sociology from Cambridge and her research is focused on consumer behaviour, social media and marketing. She's given talks on her area of expertise around the world and as well as academic journals, her research has been published in Forbes, The Guardian and The Times, to name a few. Gillian doesn't just have an opinion and stats on personal branding. She has practical tips on how to use your personal brand to start consciously shaping perceptions of you before you even walk in the room. To build connections to take you further in your career than additional letters after your name alone ever could. And to nurture trust to improve the healthcare experience for patients. So, let's talk about building the brand of you. You gave this amazing talk for the King's College alumni, which I really thought was very, very useful. You were talking about personal branding. And I thought to myself, this is exactly the kind of thing I wish I would have been aware of as a student. You talk about personal branding as something that can be accessible for everybody. And I'd always kind of, you know, when I was younger, thought of it as more of a thing for influencers or for prominent people. 
But still, for a lot of our audience, they might not think applies to them, especially as a lot of them work in the public sector. So I just wanted to start simply by asking, what is a personal brand and when would it matter for healthcare professionals? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me. I mean, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think personal branding can be quite stigmatized. People think it's only for celebrities or CEOs. But your personal brand is basically what people say about you when you're not in the room, right? Whether that's good or bad, that's their affiliation that they have with you. Um, and so for people in the medical community or students or really anyone who's not in maybe a space that is traditionally associated with having a strong personal brand, it's everything. It's who gets you know put forward for promotions, um, who gets asked to be on academic papers, who gets invited to dinners. You know, it's all those extra things that grow your social capital that people don't really think of uh, as part of their professional space. They sort of think like, well, if I just work hard, then, you know, I'll get to where I want to be. And that's true. No question. Uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But I think there's also certain things you can do to kind of put yourself ahead in a way that is allowing people to see the best side of you uh, in the best way possible. I think that is really a good thing to point out about the fact that you can work really, really hard. And if you are kind of missing that kind of social capital as you're describing Mm -hmm. it can hinder your progress I I remember listening to a video or watching a video on YouTube talking about reasons why hardworking people don't get ahead and they put networking down as one of those things and that really made me kind Mm -hmm. of turn a corner on things it's so true it's so true people hate network I, I mean I think I hate the concept of networking and I don't really like doing it I find it sort of tacky and forced and People, people view it as, you know, how many business cards can I hand out a, at a reception? And it's, it's mm-hmm. definitely not, it's definitely, if you're doing, if that's how you're networking, then it's not going to work out for you. So I think it's just important to be so strategic because um, you're right. You hear networking and you just, oh, I just would roll my eyes. I'm like, God, please don't let me go to another reception where I don't know anyone and I have to talk to people. And it's, yeah, so I think building a personal brand where you're not doing that, where it's something a little bit more comfortable, where you have the upper hand, where the ball's in your court is is just so essential. You're right. It's not so much dependent on just these kind of superficial interactions at all. You are sharing kind of what's mm-hmm. integral to you as a person. People might have an idea of what personal branding is. So what what isn't personal branding? <laughs> yes, I think, I think, no, that's a perfect question. Because I mean, when people think of personal branding, the first thing they think of is, well, how many connections do I have on LinkedIn? Like that's the, that's the currency for a lot of people. Um, that is not the right currency. I mean, definitely I'm on LinkedIn. I don't like it, but it's, you know, part of playing the game. You have to sort of be on LinkedIn if, you know, or have a job in this day and age. Um, but that shouldn't be the sole focus of your work. You know, you sh- yes, keep it updated, but you don't necessarily have to be as active as I think the perception is for LinkedIn. I think having a presence online is crucial because if you don't have a presence online and then people are going to make up their own idea of who you are, right? Or maybe your your sole presence is something that someone else wrote about you, whether it was in, you know, like a college newsletter or, you know, a school report or God knows what. If something is being written about you online, you better make sure it's written by you. And LinkedIn obviously is sort of that first case because you can, you know, it's sort of the infrastructure of it exists so that you can put your best foot forward and, you know, how many characters you need. Um, but that doesn't, I wouldn't say that's necessarily the be all and end all of personal branding, making sure that you are sort of consistent in any online presence that you have is part of your personal branding. So if you have, you know, like an open Facebook page, 
then and your followers tend to be people you work with. Make sure that that photo you have, for example, is the same photo as your LinkedIn, is the same photo as your Twitter, your Twitter handle. So just making sure that there's some sort of polished consistency that exists that is still authentic, which is sort of the million dollar question, which everyone hates because everyone, you know, you hear the word authenticity and you just think, you know, what does that mean? And everyone, influencers throw it around all the time. But it's sort of the, yeah, the best version of who you are in a way that is also sort of polished and yet also unique. So it's a bit of a paradox, but you'll see it when you know it and you'll see it when you see it, you'll know it. So I think that's sort of the key point to remember. That's a really handy tip, the idea of having that consistency in terms of your your profile picture. I think mm. I think a lot of people think that actually you should have I think there was even a meme of like, here's my <laughs> yes. LinkedIn, here's my Instagram. Totally. My... Yeah. So people totally. feel like they should have different different things. Obviously there's a social aspect and there's more of a, a professional one that you might have. Mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. But but if both of these things are public, there should be some kind of link between them. That's just it. That's just it. I remember seeing that meme exactly. And yeah, it was like your Instagram self, your Facebook self. But what, what was so what I think what was wrong with that meme, which is sad because it got circulated everywhere, is people were targeting their image based on the platform and not based yeah. on the audience not based on the audience. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So it was like Instagram, you can add filters and you know, you have people, you know, giving these um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, sort of speaking to the camera and giving these like really profound informations about their day or how they made a tuna fish sandwich or something like that but that doesn't mean that that's the right platform for the audience that you're trying to attract Mm -hmm. so I think don't think of the platform think of the audience who's going to find you on there because if you think about Facebook originally when Facebook started right it was for kids in college it was for people at university who would put photos up when they were out partying with their friends or things they did you know on holiday because if it didn't go on Facebook did it really happen was sort of the you know yeah. the, the idea but now <laughs> I mean women over 50 is the largest growing demographic on Facebook so you have your aunts you have your colleagues you have your uncles you have your family um and so as a result your your digital footprint on Facebook has to evolve with who your audience is so people have to go through and they have to start blocking those old albums or changing how they post because Facebook isn't what it used to be. And the audience has matured. It's just too bad if people don't let that content mature with it. That's a very good point to add to the idea that you want to be the one who writes the information. You also need to be the one that curates it as well. 100%. 100%. percent hmm So you talked about this kind of interesting concept of bonding capital versus bridging capital. Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit about it and how that might apply in healthcare, which is, you know, a relatively closed off community of professionals? Yeah, absolutely. So bonding capital is basically networking with people in your organization, right? It's sort of the easy win. Everyone knows how to do it. Bridging capital is networking with people outside of your organization. So people who might not be like you professionally. So these can be people at your kid's school, someone at your gym, someone at the coffee shop, you know, anyone who is not within your immediate network, someone who's external. So you're sort of bridging the space in terms of the notion of bridging capital. So in the medical profession, I mean, I think it's so interesting because I know that there are sort of hierarchies, you know, within the medical field and within the the profession itself, but that also allows more opportunity, I think, for bridging capital capital to occur between those ranks. I think there's no reason why if you're um, a consultant, you can't necessarily speak to a nurse, right? There's or network with yeah. them for a variety of reasons. Like I think those barriers have to come down. Um, and no one's going to grow in any capacity if those barriers are still there. Yeah. But also, I mean, if you're if you have a great relationship or rapport with your patient as well, and there's someone who, you know, might 
have something that you need, you know, in terms of some type type of professional development, that's another option. I mean, the hospital is the most (laughs) studied institution for a lot of research, right? Because of those dynamics that exist between people at various levels. And I think if people break down those barriers and really network with people beyond, you know, just their department or just their rank, Mm -hmm. that's going to be how they're going to actually grow their, their, their social capital and their personal brand. You're right that healthcare, well, medicine in particular, is very hierarchical. Mm-hmm. There's very much a feeling that you do want to kind of stay in your lane a lot of the time. And also, especially it's because it's a very stressful environment. And sometimes the idea of kind of branching out and meeting and talking to different people can be a little bit daunting. But you're right that there is a lot to be gained from these kinds of conversations or these relationships that we can build outside as well. How do you think that we could? improve the healthcare experience for everybody, whether that's patients or doctors, by people kind of having more of an awareness of personal branding? Do you think that there is something to be gained in terms of the way that we interact with healthcare? I think, I think absolutely. I think a lot of the times, just within my own experience, um, dealing with healthcare, either in in Canada or in the UK, or even when I lived in the US, um, I feel there's this notion that the doctors are sort of in this ivory tower and they're very inaccessible. and yes, that might be the case in terms of, you know, some egos of, of some medical professionals. Um, but I think that, does, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's, you know, that's the right thing to be doing. I think mm-hmm. doctors, you can read academic papers that they've written online. And I know that's what lots of people do if they have access to those journals and they're trying to find out a little bit more about a specific doctor. But that's not, that's only one aspect of their personal brand, right? That's yeah, the clinical sure. element. That's them as a clinician. That's not them as an individual, right? And you're not going to learn much about someone from just an academic article. You know, I know I write articles, my voice as an academic article as an as an academic is very different from my voice elsewhere in my life. Um, so I think if the best way that a doctor or a medical professional can I can be a bit more accessible without without being too sort of in your face, I would say, I think mm-hmm. is through using social media. And I've 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 said this before to a few um, medical professionals and they said, Oh, I don't have time to do that. And that's a hundred percent. That's fine. But I think you can tweet, you can upload stuff on a blog. You can really do anything. It doesn't have to be done every single day. It can be done once a week, but just trying to create just a presence for what you do. Um, there's this incredible, um, plastic surgeon who I follow on Instagram not that I've had any plastic surgery. I just, he, I just think he has the most incredible presence on Instagram in terms of debunking myths about different, um, you know, medical procedures, whether they're, you know, cosmetic or or otherwise. Um, and he's just very honest about it. And I think he's, he's young, he's trying to build up his profile and he's doing an incredible job. He, if he goes and gives a talk somewhere, he'll talk about, you know, he'll have snippets from the talk or have photos of him on stage. Um, He'll do a lot of Q&A with the audience on Instagram, like ask me a question and people can ask various questions about anything they might have. And it's really humanized, I think, a field specifically, you know, plastic surgery for him that I think is sort of a taboo subject for a variety of reasons. And it's just providing a human face to it by his use of his, he's predominantly Instagram because he's sort of in his late thirties. But I think anyone can find a platform that works for their audience and it works quite well. People maybe think that it's only in the private sector that this might apply, but I, I actually think patients always Google their, their always. doctors and their dentists. Yeah. And so, you know, they're usually kind of landing on a LinkedIn page. If they're lucky, there might be some kind of profile which shows all of the papers and research. Mm-hmm. That they're 
but there's mm-hmm. nothing of like do my values align with this person or do I get along with them and and these are very important things that we we I think we rarely ever make purely logical decisions <laughs> and so you know having a bit more of a an intentional presence online could mm-hmm. really long way with with developing these relationships or deepening these relationships with our p- patients 100 percent. and if you're sick you're you know you obviously feel vulnerable but if you could have sort of that leg up in your own emotionally by knowing who it is that you are dealing with in terms of yeah. this doctor not just academic papers not just reviews because i know people put reviews online of, of you know treatments yeah. they've had um, or experiences but even just understanding that individual from a human level um i think would really calm the anxiety of a lot of individuals for who go under these procedures and are very scared or are nervous to follow up on some sort of appointment appointment if they've had something irregular happen so i think humanizing it is is so crucial and it's so easy now with these platforms that exist they just have to sort of know where the boundaries are me being a graphic designer mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very interested to know what your perspective is on kind of the importance of visual design when it comes to your presentation whether that's online or you know in any other kind of aspect because I know you've spoken before I've heard you speak about how we form first impressions on very simple things like the way that someone is dressed. So do you think that there's any kind of um, importance that should be placed upon visual design as well? Yes, 100%. I think the more polished something can look, the more professional, the more um, just a bit elevated something can look, I think it makes you stand out from a crowd. So even if that comes down to having a specific font for your name on your CV, right, or having your own logo, um, or having something in your signature, just that that level of consistency that just sort of shows that you are taking that extra step, that sort of extra, extra step from your peers or from your competitors is, is will go miles, which is, it's so significant. Um, I know even for myself, when I was just applying to jobs, I, tr- I had tried to get like a specific signature, um, sorry, a specific font for my name and my signature on my email. And then it matched the one on my CV, which matched the one on any invoices oh, I sent nice. from a consulting perspective. And it was just having that level of consistency that allowed you to be, just look a little bit more professional whether you did it alone in your basement and made it yourself or you hired someone, it doesn't matter. No one cares as long as you have sort of that elevated experience for whoever you're interacting with, even if it's not, you know, in person. Of course. I, I mean, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. but people are, I think people are afraid to do it because they think, oh, it's expensive. But you, I mean, anyone can go online and, and do it themselves. I mean, that's not diluting the job of graphic designers by any means. Obviously, I think 100% this needs to be a space that people are, are drawn to. I just, I don't think people should be afraid of doing it. I yeah, for sure. That's sort of the key thing. Yeah, jump on Canva, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, totally. Whatever you, whatever you want to do or you can do, go for it. It stands out to me the way that, you know, in in medicine and dentistry, we've we've graduated with the same degree, mm-hmm. we're going for the same job. And yes, you can do more papers or mm-hmm. get another qualification, but there will always be someone who has more papers and more qualifications yeah. than you. And yeah. so just having that kind of personal touch that is unique to you um, mm-hmm. is a very is a, a very good way to kind of set you apart in some kind of way from other people entirely even if it's something as simple as you have a notepad with you that has your you know from the desk of and it has your name on it so every time you hand out notes or things to colleagues or patients you know there's that personal branding on it it's so tiny and it's something that you know doesn't cost a lot of money but again it's something that people will remember 
And even yeah. if they just have it in their pocket, they'll be like, oh, who is that? Oh, right. Okay. They'll know who you are. It just, again, it will match everything else. And it's just that elevated experience that you're providing. So just a little bit more about this, this idea of just the ickiness. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. Um, yeah. You know, I think that people might think of personal branding in, in some way. We, I mean, we spoke about it a little bit already about networking, feeling kind of icky mm-hmm. or disingenuous. And mm-hmm. maybe people might have that kind of preconception about personal branding as well, even though there's mm-hmm. a little bit more, I think there's, there's definitely more of you injected into that than there is with networking. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. How do you think we can kind of get past this kind of mindset and just get involved really? No, I think it's great. I think we have to lower our standards um, for networking. I think you have to just, before you go to an event, because now everything's happening back, you know, in person again, mm-hmm. and just say to yourself, you know, I'm two people, I'm going to talk to two people tonight, or I'm just going to, you know, talk to one person, but like really mm-hmm. connect with them. I think setting goals for yourself that are realistic when you go to these situations that are often really stressful and awkward and, and annoying yeah. um, <laughs> and icky. You're right. They're just, they're just kind of tacky in general, but going in with that goal, I think if you're goal oriented, which a lot of people in the medical profession are obviously um, or most people too, I think just going in with that, with one little goal of like what you're trying to get through, even if it's like, I want to tell one person about my research. Right. right. Or I want to have one meaningful conversation about X, as opposed to I want to talk to six people like you can, ch- you can figure out whether it's a numbers game, quality over quantity, depending on how you feel that night or what the end, the end goal is for you professionally. Um, but I think lowering, lowering the expectations and just applaud yourself for even getting dressed and showing up yes. because getting in the door is honestly, you can, the easiest thing to do is to talk yourself out from doing something right. Everyone is, you know, everyone can do that. It's, it's not a problem, but it's literally showing up you know, you got dressed, you put yourself together, you got in there, you got your glass of wine or whatever, from, as they have in these receptions. And then, then just take a deep breath and sort of see how, how it goes. I think don't think that your entire professional career or your legacy within the field relies yeah. on one event. Yeah. There's no way it does. And everyone else there is as awkward as you, whether, you know, whether you believe it or not, um, trust me. So I think that's something definitely to keep in mind. That is a, a very helpful way to look at things just do doing something is better than not doing anything yeah, you showed up okay yeah. that's half the battle yeah as you put it personal branding is about what people say about you when you're not in the room it's about shaping perceptions about you and so in order to do that you need to decide you know what your expertise is and what your values are and from my personal experience this can take some time but for our listeners, what do you think is a simple step that they can take after listening to this podcast to figure out what they stand for and how they might want people to think of them? Obviously, this will you know, evolve with time. Yeah. So I think, I think that's exactly what you said. It's perfect. It does take time, 100%. I think that to develop a personal brand or to come up with you know, a list of values that you think um, best represents you is going to be something that's a moving target for for a while I think for a while um because as we you know as we grow in our careers specifically you know your role as a junior associate or a leader or a consultant or whatever it is in whatever field you're in um is going to change very very quickly so I think in terms of coming up what you coming up with something to figure out what for what you stand for is really just figuring out how do you want people to describe you, right? So if personal branding is who you are when you walk out of a room and what people say about you, what are they saying, right? And if 
you can do these. In, we've, I've done this in a few with, uh, with a few executives where I would have them sit in a room with a partner and they not, not a, um, like a professional partner, and they'd have to write down characteristics that they thought the other person embodied. And then they had to write what they thought they embodied. And then we kind of looked at the two pieces of paper and tried to see what was consistent. And if the two values or the two complements or the two characteristics um, appeared on both pieces of paper, well, then that was a win. And that's likely something that they both see themselves as. But it's the age old tale that we think we're, you know, we view ourselves quite differently than other people view us. And I think Mm -hmm. having that time or that energy to have an honest conversation with someone and with yourself to see if it's aligned in any capacity is the first step. Because we can say, oh, you know, we, we uh, represent X, X, X. And then someone says, well, no, I think you're more, you know, a Y, 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 then how is it that that is ever going to get bridged together? And I think keeping in in mind others' perception of you, because at the end of the day, it's someone else's perception that's going to make that judgment of you, um, whether you like it or not. It's so true that we are definitely who we are internally, but we are also (laughs) a, a product of our environments and, you know, what, people might say about us out there so it is mm-hmm. it's good to bear those things in mind really when we're thinking about how we need to present ourselves 100 percent, yeah absolutely and we all bring our own reference points to every experience we have right so we can't assume that an experience that i have is different from an experience someone else's has they're going to be very different regardless and so i think just being transparent and being honest with individuals and not taking it personally if you if their perception of you is different than how you thought you were portraying yourself that's a really handy tip, I guess. A lot of people can do that with their friends, can't they? Or with yeah. their parents or whoever mm-hmm. is kind of important in their lives. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. I guess I want to ask you more of a personal question, because for me, I have found that this kind of perfectionism can take over when thinking about my personal brand. And mm-hmm. um, it can be crippling sometimes. It oh, can yeah. it can stop me from posting anything online. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess it's it's almost like your your personal brand has become like a you know projection of your ego in some way. I'm just taking it way too seriously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Seeing from from your perspective as a researcher, um I, I imagine that you have a kind of a degree of detachment and maybe more of an experimental spirit the way that you approach these things and so I I wonder if there's anything any kind of tips from the way that you do things the line of work that might also help us to kind of get over these these barriers to to personal branding absolutely I think it goes back to the audience I think the key thing is your audience right so if I'm posting on Facebook it's going to be very different from how I'm posting on Instagram purely because my audience on Instagram is very private very curated you know, I live abroad, so it's for people in Canada to see pictures of my kids, um, to talk about things I'm doing at work. It's it's a very safe space. Whereas on Facebook, people want to be friends with you who you met randomly at a wedding or you work with you work with and you see once a week. So obviously the information I put on there still has to exist because the worst thing you can do is have a, a you know a social media profile and never post you might as well not have one because you've now set up the expectation that you're posting regardless of who the audience is you want to manage their expectations as well so knowing your audience is key first of all and that's going to be how you how you decide what you want to post and if and even in my experience i've had this if you are getting any type of anxiety about what to post because maybe you don't think it looks right or you added the wrong filter, or you think maybe I shouldn't actually post about this, just stop, (laughs) just stop and honestly come back to it. Sleep on it, take a break, 
go for, you know, I think people have to make important decisions when they're posting. And the notion of Instagram is that it's instant and it's something that just happened. And like, I'm at this cool concert and I'm going to post it right now. And then you regret it. No, there's no reason. No, there's no rule. These are all rules we have in our head. Right. And if you can kind of work through those rules on your eye, on your own, those own guidelines, then that's just a lot smarter. Just honestly, just stop what you're doing and come back to it. It doesn't have to be done. The world will not end if you don't post on Instagram or if you don't make a tweet. You might as well do it properly as opposed to getting it, being the first one to do it or rushing out to do it. And I think that's what I've noticed with so many influencers from my own research who end up in a little bit of hot water or scandal is they just sent it out. Either they were drinking, they were on drugs, or they didn't give any, they didn't give any thought to it. Right. Uh, and so I think you know, if you can, as an individual, just really think, is this something I want to post? Would I be embarrassed in a week from now if someone saw this or if it came up in another context and sort of run through your own, your own sort of, your own guidelines for how, what you will post and why you post it. You mentioned your, your research. Have there been any kinds of findings that surprised you in recent times? That's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, working with influencers always surprises me because it's such an evolving space. I mean, I think influencers get a lot of um, criticism because of what they do. But I think what people forget is these individuals are very young. They're working extremely long hours. They're basically commercializing, you know, their personality or their being um, for the sake of, you know, a bag <laughs> or an experience, you know, or a lipstick or a pair of trainers. Um and so in my experience, it's just talking to them and finding out about these very um, detailed contracts that they have with a lot of companies um, and the level, sort of that level of detail or minutia that they have to really provide these companies with in terms of how they present the, a specific product is, mm -hmm. is so detailed that, you know, we, we scroll through these things every day and behind the scenes, it is it is a very dangerous space um, and it's a very toxic space. And, you know, we talk about anxiety with people posting things online, but these individuals are experiencing it firsthand um, for the sake of, you know, commercializing their, their self. And I think that's something that from a mental health perspective, a lot of people don't really understand. Mm. Um, and that's something just by talking to influencers that you just realize that it's not as glamorous as, you know, the Insta shows it to be. That's a really powerful perspective as well to mm -hmm. to think about the kind of the flip side, the dark side of of, of these things. But I think that's good because it kind of tempers our maybe our enthusiasm a little bit that, you know, there's there's a lot of good things about this space, but there mm -hmm. are things that we need to be aware of as well. Mm -hmm. And I guess we can we can be grateful that the stakes are not so high. That will help us a little bit to relax about, you know, sharing a bit about ourselves, too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I just wanted to end by asking you a question that mm -hmm. I ask to all of our guests who come on the podcast. So I'd just like you to imagine for a moment that you are the dean of the medical or dental school. Mm -hmm. I, I hope we don't step on any toes because you might know. <laughs> we, just, we just won't show this to them. I'd love you to just imagine for a moment that you are in this position. What would you add to the curriculum to better prepare students for their professional lives, whether that's through building networks or in any other kind of capacity that you can think of? What would you want them to be learning at medical or dental school? No, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, 
honestly, I think a communications course would be absolutely crucial. And when I mean a communications course, I mean, you know, how to talk to the press, because that will have to happen at some point, Um, whether it's, you know, a lawsuit or something hopefully good, something celebratory, Um, Mm -hmm. how to deal with the press, um, how to conduct interviews, um, how to build a personal brand, um, why you should have a personal brand, uh, and just comms in general. I mean, I think you know, people talk a lot about bedside manner uh, in the medical field and, and the importance of it. And yes, that's true. But I think also having a degree of accessibility where your patients feel less, you know, anxious or vulnerable around you because of how you present yourself, I think is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, you know, in academia, for example, you're taught to do loads of research, but you're never really taught how to teach. And so just because you're a phenomenal researcher doesn't mean you're going to be great in the classroom as a lecturer. Um, And I think it's similar, you know, with, with individuals in the medical profession, dentists or doctors or nurses or nurse practitioners, or you name it. I think having a comms class or something to help them with a side of, of their profession that is often overlooked, I think is something that would really separate some, some, you know, wonderful doctors from some maybe not so good ones. Yeah, that's that's a really, really interesting perspective. Again, because I remember in medical school, the, the kind of blanket thing that we learned was never talk to the press. Just don't talk right. to the press. Right. Never, never. And so obviously when it comes to com- confidentiality, that is very, very important when it comes to talking about specific patients, specific cases. We can't talk to the press about that. But increasingly people are wanting to get kind of a, a public opinion about whether it's the NHS or whatever is happening in healthcare or some kind of new treatment. And I'd say most of us are ill-prepared to be able to speak about these things eloquently unless you have taken a specific interest in that. And so, like you say, with Bedside Manor, we're all about that. And you'd say that we're great communicators in that capacity. But when it comes to, like you say, projecting more of a... Um, of an opinion that many people can access at the same time. That's definitely something that we can, we can work on for mm-hmm. sure. And yeah. even just learning, I, I, I'm, I agree that, you know, I can see why they'd say don't talk to the press, you know, cause it can be quite um, controversial, but even there's a way of speaking to the press without speaking to the press, right. There's a way of speaking to the press in very, you know, with, in a very broad way where they're getting answers that they like, that the CEO of the hospital likes that you like, you know, things like that. So I think just having, skills where you can learn to navigate that landscape is really important um, because you never know when you might have to, you know, give an interview or talk to someone. And if you're not prepared, then that's often when things go awry because you just try to be honest and maybe you're telling too much or things along those lines. Thank you so, so much. This has been wonderful. Yeah, thank you. I don't know about you, but I am excited to put Jillian's advice into action. I'd also love to hear what your main takeaways were. So why not rate and review the podcast and let me know your thoughts. It would also really help other people to discover these inspiring conversations. You can follow Gillian on LinkedIn and me on Instagram at rollercare.so. Links are in the show notes. And I really hope you enjoyed this. If you did, please subscribe and share. And I'll be back soon with another episode of Brand New Doctor.